What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You are listening to The Playlist Podcast, a series of brief discussions on modern movies. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and this episode comes to you in two parts. My interview with The Lobster director, Yorgos Lanthimos, comes in the second half. We start with the 2016 Cannes Film Festival. This year's festival kicked off with the new Woody Allen film, Cafe Society, and as per usual, there's been reports of booing and cheering for most of the films. With nearly all the competition titles screened, and the most recent splashing and divisive premiere coming from the latest Nicholas Wending Refn film, The Neon Demon, friend of the show and longtime film critic for IonCinema.com, Nicholas Bell, joined me via Skype from his hotel in France, right after seeing the film. And though the playlist's own Jessica Kiang recently published her review, awarding The Neon Demon with a B-plus grade, Nick was not a fan of this latest work from Refn. He talked about it and many other titles that he's liked and disliked at the fest this year. Here's our chat. This is my fourth year, and uh, this is probably... It's, it's definitely better than the last two years, I'll say that for sure. Okay. Uh, last, year was, last year, I felt pretty disappointed in the lineup by the end of the festival, <laughs> the competition, because uh, I usually see everything that plays there uh, and then fit in the sidebars as I can. As you know, I'm sure all too well. I, I am a refin, uh, Nicholas Wendin refin obsessive. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big fan, and you are too. You've liked, uh, you and me have, you know, talked about his movies uh, a lot. In fact, I think the last time you guested on Adjust Your Tracking was, if I'm not mistaken, it was the year that you came on to talk about the Cannes Festival that year to talk, and we discussed Only God Forgives, and of course that movie uh, got. Uh, it had the reputation that it has. It was a very divisive movie. A lot of people, I think a lot of stuff gets overblown about the booze or the like divisive reactions that happen at this festival. So um, I feel like I'm already starting to get some of that. Uh, I've just been following Twitter kind of obsessively all day for the all the reactions to The Neon Demon, which which is Refn's newest film. And just premiered and you've you've just come off uh was it a midnight screening nick or was it like a late night screening there uh i saw the second press screening uh for in the evening press screenings uh they do two uh, you, you can go to either slot and earlier the first or the second and usually the first one's better to go to uh you get more, more of a general sense of <clears throat> what the audience thinks right and i heard that i missed a lot of booze <laughs> At the uh, at the other one, you're saying? At the other one, yeah. Uh, the the second theater that I sat in was much smaller. Uh, there's less people in there, uh, but there was a lot of awkward laughter. Um, <laughs> I guess you want to hear what I think, huh? I do. Yeah, lay it on. I oh, does this mean? Are you not a fan of the Neon Demon? I, I was not a fan. Oh, um, like there's an idea there, and 
that could have been, and you'll see, you'll, I feel like you'll think this when you see it, that could have been pushed to such extremes that it would have been like a great Jalo homage or, or like a Brian De Palma homage in the, in the 70s kind of material. That's what it, it feels like it's reaching for. It just doesn't, in all those genre films, there, there is a plot, no matter how familiar or formulaic, and there isn't one here. It's very, it, it's very one note. It just, it's very flat. And okay. they're, they're not that you need that, but I think it would have helped a little. I don't know. Sure, sure. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, yeah, you bring up that those Giallo films have plots to them, but it's not like they ever really make sense, at least the ones I've seen, right? Like, you don't go to a Dario Argento film for the, like, complex narrative. You're just, like, there for the visual experience, the sort of, the the immersive experience of his filmmaking. But it sounds like Refn, uh can't even... Yeah, he couldn't even get you there, it sounds like. Right. And, you know, that might be just the the folly of an initial reaction because, you know, you put that on the shelf in 20 years, people will be, you know, digging this like the, the they are Argento now, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that at least I'm hoping, was hoping for more of something ambitious and innovative instead of just doing something somebody else has already done. I don't know. Right, right. Have you have you thought that about other films of his? Because I, I actually thought that we both uh, talked positively about Only God Forgives, but you're saying now retroactively with the documentary, do you look back at that movie and sort of think lesser of it in a, in a similar fashion to Neon Demon? Uh, yes. <laughs> How about so? What movie really works for you for him? I mean, Drive. You you really took to if if my memory serves. Yes, yeah. And Drive, I still uh, feel like defending. Uh, Bronson, we we really liked. I thought we watched that when we were both yeah. in our Minnesota days. I believe. Yes, yes, yeah. I still I have fond memories of Bronson, uh, Valhalla Rising. Um, there, there's just about the last two that something that seems so belabored to me mm. that 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 I didn't pick up on before. Or didn't sense that that was there before. Interesting, and maybe and, some of that is a reaction from him, as like what that documentary showed. Of he felt he feels this weight now, and maybe he's kind of just doing it to himself, like a, a sense of self-importance, maybe. Yes, yeah, and then and that's I think that's difficult to navigate. I just you're well. It sounds like you're you sensed it within the the material, and that that I think is something that does rub people the wrong way with him, right? I mean, isn't that why he's getting some of these reactions? I feel like with Only God Forgives, and maybe, again, it's going to happen with Neon Demon, we got to give it time, of course, but um, they're the movies that people that have criticized him before that they point to to be like, see, the Emperor has no clothes, and I wonder if, like you, I think you were kind of getting at, like, these films getting in competition at Cannes, they can be the sort of punching bag movies that you know, people will point at and say, why is this here when there are other things? Um, do you feel like that that is part of what you were getting at or what what's playing into sort of also the divisive reactions that happen with him? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's a, everybody. Everybody seems to have their own personal choices or what their sore got locked out or has been have, have maybe unfairly dismissed as well. And why aren't those films uh, a lot of this or that? Um, yeah, I think that's all part of this game. Uh that is associated with this platform of the Cannes Film Festival, um, which is not fair, but, I, you know, that's what you are putting yourself up against when you enter this arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes or breaks things. I don't know. The, 
I, I'm surprised to see him back here with this level of film, uh, considering what supposedly an authentic reaction to what happened with Only God Forgives. Uh, right. I don't know. I don't know how he entered that in this film festival, getting into competition, thinking that it was not going to have the same level of animosity directed towards it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Interesting. So, but maybe he's got a tougher skin now, and. Uh, and that's fine. I don't know. I did. I think that it, it's probably a more interesting film to talk about and watch again than Only God Forgives. So okay, maybe we need to discuss once I get to see it. I mean, it's not going to be long. It comes out like late June, and it's uh, another one of those splashy titles from Amazon. You know, got has gotten a lot of news for having they're distributing five of the movies that are at the festival and you know i think the jarmusch film is one of theirs the the woody allen that opened the festival like they've gotten a lot of attention and it'll be interesting to see how they can place this new ref and film in the theater especially if it is you know as you're reporting and i mean with ref and like you i he does get accused of things like misogyny elements of that in his work um I, I could argue in a lot of his films and even in Only God Forgives, maybe that's like something he's trying to explore. And it, to me, I think of like Lars von Trier with something like Antichrist or some of his films where they try to explain they're they're trying to explore that within the narrative of the film. But what for you, what can you get a little more specific with Neon Deem, that Demon that you found troubling perhaps in this in- instance? Well, it professes to give uh, at least it's, it's- central female character sense of agency in this very superficial commodified world um, and then turns around and does the exact same thing by exploiting the feminine body <laughs> in, ah. in, in ways that seem like he's trying to be provocative uh, or courting expl- ex- controversy controversy yeah that's so how do you see him as like an exploitation filmmaker though because to, to me, this just sounds like what he do- I mean, you you are also saying this. This is what Refn does. But, like, I guess that's what I'm starting to find interesting about this new slick layer of filmmaking he's really attaching himself to of, like, uh, minimal dialogue, lot, lots of slow motion and ornate, uh, unreal lighting, lots of heavy reds and Neon Demon looks like it oh, has. Yes. Yeah, lots of reds, lots of blues, but... Um, I like that because he's sort of starting, I think he's really becoming a more true mix of the sort of art house pretentious snob director that half of him is. And the other half that's like pure exploitation guy that loves Texas Chainsaw Massacre and even like much junkier, like sea level movies than that. Visually, um, it's got some impressive sequences um, how he uses space and lighting. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, a, an early sequence in, what I believe to be the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, where oh, yeah. Nate's party is uh, set, that looks uh, uh, pretty cool. Uh, but then reflecting on it afterwards, it's like, what was that about, and why was it there? Um, <laughs> Good in the moment, not so much after. <laughs> right, right. Um, so no, it's it's not a failure on every level, and you know, I would, I, you know, in a, the politically correct era we're in, to just label somebody misogynist is and I, I don't think that he is based on his representation of women in his body of work per se I, I think that when you're working within a certain parameter uh, it might come across that way but I, I don't think that's his intention as a human being um, 
I just think that I just think that it's funny that this seems to be this film seems to be a response to those accusations, at least how it's been kind of packaged or marketed thus far, and it is not. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking for those rumors to be quelled, I mean that's not that's not going to happen with this. It's not going to put out the flames. No, no, and in, in fact, it'll add fuel to it. But like, like probably, <laughs> that's probably on purpose. So, mm. I mean, that's almost neither here nor there. I think people are going to be driven to see it no matter what because of who he is still, and he hasn't had um, enough failures to take him out of the picture. Is that your real nose? Yeah. God, life is so unfair. Gigi just got out of the body shop. She's still a little sensitive. You had work done? <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Sweet, plastics is just good grooming. Imagine going a year without brushing your teeth. I go to this guy in Beverly Hills. Andrew. Dr. Andrew. She's in love with him. <laughs> of course I love him. Look at me. He calls me the bionic woman. Is that a compliment? Are there other films that you think belong in competition that you've seen, uh, whether in place of something like Neon Demon or just belong in there that you really want to shout out for? And then uh, I'd also love to know what you think are like the really strong palm contenders uh, before we sign off. Like I was have been saying, I've before going into the festival, I was very happy with the lineup and uh, in, in some of the first timers that are getting to compete at this level, like uh, Girodi and Marnade. Um, so I was impressed, especially considering Marinade is the first German uh, to get a slot since 2008. Right, and she just uh, context. She, her last film was every everybody else or everyone else. Everyone which, else, which was so good. I mean, I know I I remember you liking that film too. If if, if I'm correct, yes. Yeah? Yeah. So good. Yeah. So such a good like relationship like exploration. That was that was a really great film. And her her new one is like one of these three hour uh like it's about a, a daughter and her, her kind of goofball father is basically the log line. And yep. how he Yeah, so uh what's that one called? Uh that one's called Tony Erdman. Tony Erdman. And right. that is thus far my favorite film of the festival, and I will be extremely disappointed if that does not win the Palm d'Or. Okay. Uh, do you do you still have some left to see though? Just to be fair in the competition. Yes, uh, three three left. I still have oh, wow, okay. Sean Penn, uh, Asghar Farhadi, and Paul Verhoeven. Oh man, the Verhoeven looks so good with you know with our girl, uh, your girl really. Who pair yes. is um, your 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 freaking Skype uh, name is Who pair? Of course, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yes, I'm very I'm kind of happy that it's last, so I can just kind of go out with that. Oh uh, God, yeah, right. But it has screened, you know, it's, it's a place so late it's screened for buyers. Uh, and there there has been, and then uh, I've been told that the French critics have been raving about it. Oh, uh, that's so promising, man. Because I think it sounds like a return to form, you know, like the, the grand old days of Verhoeven. That's what I'm really hoping for. I know, me too. But well, before Basic Instincts, even. Uh, of course. Yes, exactly. <laughs> even though it could fall into that sort of campy log line, it looks way more like vicious and cruel. Like his earlier stuff, just more fun, too. Uh, yeah, like his, his original Dutch stuff. Uh, oh, God, yes, right. Which a lot of that I still need to see, but I hear is quite good. Yeah, Turkish Delight, I feel, is still um, more shocking than most things, most relationship movies you'd see now. Uh, uh, even on the art house scene. You really want Tony Erdman is is your big favorite. Are there um, 
Uh, is, is there like maybe another one or two that you just like were a, are a big fan of that you'll you'll know you'll be talking about later in the year? Uh, Aquarius, the Brazilian film from uh, if I'm saying oh. his name right, Kleber Mendonca Filho. <laughs> right, his, his name. His previous uh, film, Neighboring Sounds, was excellent. I saw that years yes. ago. It was yeah, very good. Okay, okay, so this one's really good. Aquarius is a good a good film. Yeah, great. Uh, uh, probably the best performance of Sonia Braga's career. I mean, from you know, I mean, when I think of Sonia Braga, I think of Kiss of the Spider Woman and Moon Over Parador. Um, <laughs> and I can't recall the last time I've seen her in something, and she's uh, fantastic, uh, nice. especially the third act of the film. Um, I loved it. And uh, uh, the Jarmusch was also uh, very. Patterson. Yeah, Patterson's very lovable, and uh, yeah, that was that was a nice surprise. Good, and that's good to hear. Well, okay, so any other stinkers for you that you just have to oh, have God. to admit? Xavier Dolan. Uh, oh, I've heard bad things. I've heard bad things. Whew, he, sh- yeah. he should be embarrassed, and he, <laughs> and he is not. Uh, he's telling he's telling the press that he believes it to be his best film, and it. <laughs> It starts off on a shrill pitch and only gets worse from there. Um, <laughs> just I saw that headline that he thinks it's his best film. You yeah. know, him and him and Refn should just get lunch together while they're in the you know while they're in the crosset. You know, just, just I, like, I would rather watch the Refn film back to back five times than sit through the Dolan again. Like it, <laughs> it, it is excruciating. Um, and also. Um, Loving, I could not stand the new Jeff Nichols film. Uh, oh no, that breaks my heart. Oh, you! I can't wait for you to see it, and then because everybody seems to they think that the detractors are crazy, but it is terribly written. Mm. Uh, everybody's talking about how great it is that it's um, uh, what, what's the? It's not showboating or. Right. I've also read that it's like not a typical biopic. Like he just sort of straightforward, his sort of straightforward style, maybe. Is that what you're getting at? Or Yes. But once you get into the lawyers talking, like Nick Kroll is horribly miscast. And it's just, oh, my God, just very pointed dialogue. And, uh, and you know what also gets my goat here is we're at the Cannes Film Festival. And you have especially these U.S. critics trying to build Oscar buzz. I mean, the awards haven't even been announced yet. Can we focus on that? Like, yeah. what, you're talking about Oscar campaigning. Like, we just ended the Oscar season, and coming out of L.A., I cannot stand it. Like, just shut up about the Oscars. <laughs> there are a lot of people here that love the film, um, and I don't understand it because it's just... <laughs> uh, I don't think it does anything right. Like... <laughs> Oh, fascinating. It's coming out in the fall. They are planning a... That is going to get the Oscar push. That is for sure. Oh, it for sure will. And then with all the... Since every good liberal that's going to watch it would, of course, is going to be undoubtedly effective. Like, I am, am in an interracial marriage. And, like, I don't think that it does anything right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it... it the, to me, they don't, they aren't even correctly drawn as a couple. And when you are in a relationship that is not condoned by the majority around you and not uh, recognized it does something 
um, that there are things that happen, there are things that are spoken between uh, two people that are com is completely lacking. The, the psychological complexity is completely lacking in loving. Not to mention, all of the supporting black people in it are interchangeable. But oh. because of the subject matter and because of race and because of how sensitive everybody is in the U.S., no one is going to dare talk about it in any negative term. I guess in the end, it's just time will tell if these movies will really survive or not, right? Right, right. And, you know, I just watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner for the first time because it got a Blu-ray release. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it hasn't aged well. Right, um, right. And, and that was a big Oscar movie at the time. Exactly. Right, in the late right. 60s. And it came out, you know, just several months, I think, after the Supreme Court decision, uh, you know, Richard versus the state or Loving versus the state of Virginia. Um, and just how... Um, insanely articulate Sidney Poitier has to be in that movie, which is a you know complete 180 from the very real people that um, were the cause of the court case in the first place, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but it's equally false. I love that you can cut through that bullshit. Like, screw the Oscar campaigns. They don't need to be... That We have plenty of time for Oscars, right? And we're not even halfway through the year. So uh, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's more than anything. It's just your opinion and your knowledge of film, sir, is, uh, we need, we need more of it. So, um, you know, really it's, it's just so refreshing to hear, to hear you cut through the bullshit, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. Cause living in LA, I feel like that is, you can't move without running into it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, can is no stranger to that level of hype and they are a big, important part of the industry. And obviously you've said it's like an exciting thing to get to go to. I'm jealous every year you get to go to this festival and hope that someday I might get to, but I can see where this could get sort of tiresome and, and just irksome to someone who genuinely loves film and wants to, and just is hungry for the best movies possible. And, the, and right. for them to, yeah, for them to get some, some deserved recognition because far too often the, the great ones uh, are the ones that don't get the audience. So, um, you know, here, here. And, and I think, I think with that, man, I, uh, I think we, I think we could leave it off there unless there's, is there anything else you want to impart us with uh, before we let you go? No, no, not yet. Um, I guess I, I can't. I'll, I'll be happy to talk about Isabella Pair, of course, after a few days, if you'd like. But uh, nothing now. I'm just bedtime, I guess. Well, yeah, you you get rested up, sir. You've got more movies to see. But yeah, why don't we why don't we do a post can wrap up and we could um, maybe dig in a little deeper or you know just time it for when one of these movies might come out. We could we can uh, have you back on soon to do that. Oh, that sounds great. All right, my friend. Well, uh, you are, of course, one of the main film critics at Ion Cinema. Is that where people can find your work or anywhere else you'd like to point people uh, to you on the Internet? That's correct. Yeah, Ion Cinema. It's and that's ioncinema.com. That's correct. What about you're on Twitter, though, aren't you, sir? Oh, yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, at Raging Bells. Uh, <laughs> nice name, sir. Uh, in Instagram as well. But, uh, yeah, so there you have it. All right, my friend. Well, yeah, follow follow Nick Bell if you want a critic that actually knows what the hell he's talking about. This dude has more. I like I say I like to say this. I've said this before. Um, it, it, Nicholas forgets more movie shit than I could ever attain the knowledge of. You forget more in a day than uh, I could. Is that is that am I saying that right? You know a lot about movies. That's what I, I'm trying to be clever, and and I can't I can't think of the way to say it. But um, he's a man you should follow if you want to follow a good film critic. So well, that's very sweet of you to say. Thank you. Well, it's sweet of you to come on here, buddy. And uh, like I said, let's let's just touch base when you get done near the festival and um, see about just recording another wrap-up. Okay, sounds perfect. 
All right, man. Enjoy the rest of the festival, and uh, I will talk to you soon. And looking forward to reading the rest of your reviews from Can. All right, thank you. Have you ever been on your own before? No, never. Your last relationship lasted how many years? Around 12. Sexual preference? Women. Is there a bisexual option available? No, sir. This option is no longer available. Hmm. And the dog? My brother. He was here a couple of years ago, but he didn't make it. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. As you understand from your brother's experience, if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here, you'll turn into an animal. Have you ever danced with anybody? Yes. And now in part two of this episode, I'm joined over the phone with Yorgos Lanthimos, the director behind the fantastic new dark comedy The Lobster. Set in a bizarre dystopic world where single folks need to find a mate in 45 days or be turned into an animal, the film has quickly become a favorite around the playlist. And don't forget to listen to the recent review of the film over at Sister Show Adjust Your Tracking, which can also be found at theplaylist.net. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. A lobster is an excellent choice. If you encounter any problems you cannot resolve yourselves, you will be assigned children. That usually helps. With the lobster... um, uh, it's kind of had a long process, at least from when it premiered at Cannes last year to, you know, uh, finally playing here in, in uh, the U.S., uh, U.S. theaters. And it went from one distributor to another. You know, it was with Alchemy before, and then they dropped your film, and now A24 has it. Um, I'd love to know just uh, that whole process of watching your film sort of get U.S. distribution, lose it, come back. Like, that whole process from when it premieres to now, like, what's that like for some, for you, the actual director of the film? Um, I have to say that it, it's not so long as you described it, because uh, as soon uh, as soon as Alchemy, you know, had their problems and they dropped many films, not just our film, mm-hmm. um, 824 picked it up immediately, like, the next day, uh, because they were fans of the film from the beginning, and they uh, didn't get it uh, while they were in Cannes, so you know we barely had time to to think think it through, you know, and uh, uh, see what that's like. So we were very fortunate and lucky that they picked it up immediately. Um, now that it's it's been a long time since Cannes, but um, I think you know many of the films that don't have a you know worldwide distributor. Uh, and have separate distributors in, in different countries. They do take some time in order to be released in the U.S., especially if they come from Europe. Um, so it, it's a relatively common thing. Then you know you're, you're looking for a good time to release the film, uh, and many times uh, you know the award season and the end of the year is too crowded when you've just uh, gotten a film. So I guess it's you know it's all a part of you know, the, the business that I, they know much better than I do, and uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, many uh, factors that um, influence those kind of decisions. But, you know, it's great that it's finally coming out. I'd love to just know something, you know, just anything about your, your writing process. Um, like, specifically, or at least to start, like, how do you come up, like, y- your process for coming up with these, like, wholly original concepts? Like, I'd just love to know that. Well, it's uh, it's a relatively 
um, long process and a, and a dialogue that we have with Fim is my co-writing partner because ever since Dogtooth we uh, we we just start we we discuss what we what it is that we want to do next after we finish a film. Um, so it's basically we exchange um, thoughts and ideas about things that are interest us and things that we observe around us. Um, and there might be like a tiny little idea of something, and then we discuss it, and it expands from there, and then we, you know, write down like a story, and then we try to fill that in with uh, scenes, and then we just decide whether that's something that we're really interested in and it's worth exploring, and then you know we just write the whole screenplay. Do you ever have you ever come up with any ideas that you thought were like too out there, too too strange? Uh, I don't think the strangeness comes comes into it. It's whether they're you know substantial enough uh, in order to do something with them and explore them. If we feel that if they don't uh, into you know important issues and matters that we're interested in, and might be slightly. Um, more superficial or just, you know, just an idea for doing a story that doesn't really resonate in any other way, I think we just, uh, we're not that interested in exploring those. Right, right. Are you, are you influenced by, uh, I feel like this is sort of a basic question, but it, you seem like such an original filmmaker. I'm just curious if there are any, are you influenced by films at all or are there other mediums that like sort of inspire you to come up with ideas? I guess I am because I do watch <laughs> films. I don't try and use them, you know, directly. Uh, influences and, you know, try to think that, you know, we're going to make this film and it's going to be like this and that. Uh, but I, I, you know, I am affected by many filmmakers uh, and it's uh, it's an inspiration for me to just, you know, want to be doing things and doing things and things as originally as I can and try to be true to my philosophy and how I like to do things. Um, so, you know, so from filmmakers from Bresson to Buñuel to mm. Godard to Casavetes, which they're so different. Mm -hmm. um, they, they have all, and many more, you know, they have all played a part in my education and life. And uh, so they certainly in some way uh, even subconsciously influence my work. Um, and then, of course, I, yeah, I do look at other stuff, uh, you know, from pictures to music to painting to whatever. What might have, you know, sparked the idea for The Lobster? And, and I'd love to know that. But also, if you could talk about uh, the film as, for me, it really represents like a movie about sort of extremism, like examining both ends of the spectrum of an extremist sort of viewpoint. And of course, there's a lot of other things going on about modern relationships and all that. But um, I'm curious if that idea about extremism and the, the fact that the movie is sort of built as it's a it's a movie of two halves, you know, when it swings into the second half, it becomes that other end of the spectrum. I'm just curious if that is that a deliberate thing you and your writing partner were going for? Or am I just uh, seeing that in the film? Yeah, well, we did want to include uh, all extremes. Uh, I think the extreme comes from us trying to push certain things in order to explore them 
through a different point of view and you know reveal the absurdities of our everyday lives and things that we consider normal and uh, we take for granted so that's where it comes from we never started you know by saying let's do something about extremism uh, i think we had to create a structure uh, which in this case needed to be to feel like a complete world because we're changing the world the, the rules of the world uh, but at the same time we wanted to feel very near to ours so in in pushing those uh, elements to extremes and having very strict rules uh, for all of the uh, all of the uh, parties that we're gonna get into and explore uh, that you know created a very uh, a kind of extremist environment mm. uh, and of course that's part of the film and uh, and I I'm always happy when you know you make a film and you start by wanting to do something about love and relationships and uh, and single people and all that and then it becomes something you know which has so many different uh, themes in it and uh, resonates with people in different ways um, and then you you know you feel like you've made something which is you know uh, quite substantial in a, in a way yeah yeah <clears throat> um i'd love you know since uh really ever since dogtooth uh and you know subsequent movies of yours that have come and uh other films like attenberg and chevalet other other greek films have been you know the critics you know like me and we we tend to like to lump things together and you've been associated with what's been called the greek new wave of these modern films from your country i'd love to just know your thoughts on that like do you think like how do you do you do you see it as a new wave or do you just yeah your thoughts yeah no i i don't really understand the need to identify some kind of you know new ethnic cinema or, or something like that um, you know, and uh, there's that. I mean, there's there's a new, there's a younger generation of filmmakers that um, it's just it's just a fact that they're there and they're making films. So there's that something, but I don't think they're characterized by a, a common uh, uh, philosophy about making films, or even the form is not very similar. Uh, I don't think the films come from the same place. I think they're quite different. So in that sense, I, I don't see any, you know, uh, movement as such. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's what it is. I mean, it's. I think at some point, some Greek films broke through and they were seen internationally. Mm-hmm. And then there was an interest in you know discovering what other films are happening there because before. Uh, Greek cinema you know, was in obscurity in a way. Mm. And the truth is that not many films were happening, but at some point, you know, the younger generation realized that they can make films with not much money and with not a lot of support and financing. And, uh, that, you know, technology in a way helped and a different kind of mindset helped. Uh, so there, there, are lo- there are many films being made and some of them are bad and some of them are good and... <laughs> They're very different, and, um, you know, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I'd like to uh, just moving on to possible future projects for you. Uh, as I understand it, you're in pre-production on a film called The Favorite, a period drama. Is that correct? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I've been working on two projects, so we're trying to figure out which is going to happen first. Mm-hmm. Um, there's The Favorite, which is a, a project that I've been developing for many years, for, fi- for five years. Oh. Uh, which, which is a British period film that takes place during Queen Anne's reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we've written a screenplay with a famous, again, uh, my co-writing partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, a psychological thriller with supernatural elements. Okay, and it, so is, is that one called "The Killing of a Sacred Deer"? That's the killing of a sacred deer. Yeah. Interesting. Now, is the favorite? Um, do you do you see a couple things about the favorite? Is that do you think that'll be your next film, or are you in the process of figuring out which one will be next? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on both at the moment, and uh, we're now figuring out which one's going to go first. Hopefully, pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. And with the favorite, um, that you know, of course, the lobster is an English language movie for you, but the the favorite sounds something much more straightforward, at least on the logline, the the sort of the synopsis of it um, is. And if it is going to be a more mainstream effort, do you think that'll be? Is that a challenge for you to do something so different for you, or um, are you excited? Yeah, well, and just just one more question about it is is there is there something that you're like anything briefly that you could explain or just say that you that that is an example of how it can be different? Like, are you going to do something visually different, or is it the way the characters will be drawn? Anything specific like that? I think you know, in all fronts, it's going to be different. We're <laughs> gonna you know we're gonna try and make a distinct film in all fronts. I mean, the writing is quite particular. The characters, uh, the uh, visually, we're going to try and do something that uh, original within you know, the genre. But uh, yeah, so I'm sure you will. I, I have faith. <laughs> the, if with it's early on, you know, whenever I have, when we haven't even you know started making a film like that, I mean, I always you know discovered uh, as well as I go you know through with it. Um, and I never have all the answers, even you know, for my collaborators from the beginning. It's always a process, and um, you know, a discovery for many for many things. Yeah, yeah. And so, lastly, the killing of a sacred deer. Will that be an English language movie as well, or will that be Greek or something else? No, oh, that's an English language film as well. That uh, we're probably going to be making in the U.S. Very exciting. So, how are you feeling now that you're, you know, that's that would be your third movie uh, in in English language in a row. Um, is that is that just going to be the norm for you making movies now, or do you think you'll go back to doing Greek cinema? What what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think for now that's you know that's the the plan that I'm going to be making English language films. It doesn't feel um, that there's 
you know, there, there's any potential in making a, a Greek film unless, you know, the, the film itself needs to be Greek or shot in Greece or, you know, for any other reason. But uh, for now, it just seems more reasonable that I keep making English language films. Yeah, and I hope you do. And I'm I'm just excited that you're getting to make original film still. Like uh, you haven't been uh, sucked into the Hollywood machine to do some sort of comic book franchise or something like that. Is there any? Uh, I mean, have you taken meetings with anybody about some you know like a Star Wars movie or anything like that? Um, I I mean, I'd love to see a Star no, Wars no, movie. Nothing from... like that. I don't <laughs> think they're still scared. <laughs> um, That's good. No, but I mean, I think you know what we're trying to do is just keep the films you know, at a, at, a, at a rational kind of budget. Mm. And if you do that, then you're free to make, you know, the films the way you'd like to make them. Um, and uh, that's, I think, the most important for me, that we have creative freedom uh, to keep making our films and have the means to be able to pull them off in a decent way, at least. The opening shot of The Lobster and then the closing shot, but specifically that opening shot of the film where... Uh, the woman pulls over in her car. Um, it's so arresting. It's such a great way to open your film. But like, it's also, by the end of the film, I've only seen it once, I still don't necessarily know how it connects. Is there any clue you can give me to how that opening scene might connect to the rest of the film in some way? Or should I just watch it again? <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't think you missed anything. You just need to be more open about it. <laughs> um, uh, for me, the opening shot is, you know, uh, sets up the tone for the film. It's not uh, related in plot. Mm. Uh, it's just a scene that very clearly sets up the tone of the film. Mm. And then you have the title of the film and then the film starts. So, you know, you can think whatever you'd like for, you know, what is actually happening in that scene and who is who after, you know, uh, while you're watching the film or after you've seen the film, you might remember it and make associations. Mm. But, no, there isn't a plot point that you missed or anything. Oh, cool, cool. Thank you so much, Yorgos. Thank you, bye.